Kia ora whānau, no mai haere mai. Welcome to the Young Adults Podcast. I'm your host and Young Adults Leader, Stephen James Hart, and I'm stoked you've clicked play on this episode. Young Adults is the ministry for the 18 to 25 year olds at Gateway Church in Aotearoa. We meet on Tuesday nights, either in homes for connect groups or at church for our fortnightly gatherings. If you're new to Hamilton or you want to join our community, we would love to meet you. DM us on Instagram or Facebook at Young Adults Gateway or visit our website, gatewaychurch.org.nz forward slash young adults. This year and on this episode, we're focusing on following the way of Jesus. You might be out for a run, walking to work or driving in the car. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, take a moment right now to welcome the leading and the guiding of Holy Spirit in your midst. He's here to teach and guide and speak. And it's his voice I pray that you hear clearest in this time we have together. So let's get into it. This is Following the Way of Jesus on the Young Adults Podcast. Good evening, podcast listeners. So I'm, I, I grabbed this from the website today, Nick, from what it says on our gateway thing. It's, there's some quotes that you've said, so hopefully tell us if it lines up or if you've changed your mind since then. <laughs> Together with his wife, Amanda, Nick leads the musical community and liturgical worship at Gateway Church in Hamilton. Together, they coordinate our Sunday teams of highly talented musicians with hearts passionately devoted to worship. Nick says... In our small corner of the world at Gateway in Hamilton, when we gather together and worship, we are like one instrument in an immeasurable orchestra, playing our part, offering up a melody and a rhythm that contributes to the worship that fills the throne room of heaven. Beautiful. <laughs> okay. I'll check the website so I can sort that out for you. We can talk about that afterwards. In his spare time, Nick is also a keen surfer and loves to sit down with a good book. Still true? Still true. Now this is my part that I'm adding on to welcome you. Get ready to cry. Even more than all that beautiful and much needed stuff within our church life, Nick is an amazing father to his three beautiful children, loving husband to Amanda, and a wonderful cheerleader championing myself and all that. Cheerleader as in like supporting us, not necessarily, I mean, could be a cheerleader, but cheerleader in helping support all of us as staff to pursue and lean into a deeper heart of worship something that he models first and foremost in his own life, very visibly. To me personally, he's a co-laborer, a fellow creative, a passionate worshipper, a fantastic encourager, and above all, a good friend. Please welcome Nick Cranslin. Stephen asked me to come and talk about worship, and I, I didn't need much convincing, because obviously um, that's the role that... Um, I look after in, here in our community in terms of our musical worship. I mean, obviously, we know that worship is so much more than just strumming some chords and singing some songs. Um, but in our context, the worship um, team leader role that I have is specifically around facilitating our corporate worship here um, and building the team, um, some of whom are here as well, who we have the privilege of journeying with. Um, so I thought what I'd do tonight is is talk to you um, about two things. One of them is, is basically part of a, a document that I take the worshipers through when they come and sign up for team. And so those of you that are here on team here will be well familiar with this, um, so forgive me for the repetition of it. But I felt it was appropriate to just 
share with you a little bit something around the heart of why we do worship the way we do worship here at Gateway and what sort of um, guides us in, in that endeavor. And then the second part of what I wanted to talk about is something that I've really felt impressed on my heart recently, just about worship in general, which will really sort of springboard us into a time of, of um, show and tell or, or practicing what we talk about. So let's dive in. Um, it would be helpful to start with a definition of worship, wouldn't it? Because it, it can be a somewhat ambiguous term, one that maybe we all have a little bit of a different idea about. So, I mean, why don't you guys throw out a few ideas of what you think worship is to get us started? And this isn't to embarrass you if you get it wrong, you know, to just throw out some ideas. What, what is worship? Thanks. That's a great word. Massive part of worship is gratitude. Sorry? Praise. Praise. Yes, absolutely. Praise. Creative communication with God. Love it. Bringing God's name honor. That's cool. Sacrifice. That's a really good one, Petra. I was thinking today, we probably don't sing too much about the cost of worship these days, but I remember Matt Redman wrote one of his most poignant songs. I don't know if you remember it, Blessed Be Your Name, and he sings about, Blessed be your name in the land that is plentiful where your streams of abundance flow. And then he says, Blessed be your name on the road marked with suffering, though there's pain in the offering. I was like, whoa. I was thinking about those lyrics this week, and I was like, and we need to revive some of those those sentiments. Very, very good, Petra. The Old Testament's just absolutely full of beautiful pictures of prescribed forms of worship in the temple and sacrifices. Um, great. It's really good. Some really good answers there. Um, the If we talk about the Anglo-Saxon roots of the word, I, I, I've done a bit of research and it's quite interesting it, it actually comes from the word worthship so it talks about something having having weight or or having substance um so it's a it's about ascribing worthship to someone or something so when we worship god we say you're you're worth giving up this thing that we call worship to there's a guy called Mark Titley, and his, he describes worship as becoming aware of God's presence and responding to his presence with verbal or active expressions of love and devotion. I really like that. I'll read it one more time. It's becoming aware of God's presence and responding to it with verbal or active expressions of love and devotion. In this sense, worship is really about revelation and recognition and response. So it's, it's about awakening our hearts to something and then actually doing something about it. <coughs> Matt Redman, again, he calls it seeing and singing. So it's about seeing something and then singing about it. So I've already said that worship isn't an exclusively sung or musical expression, but in our context, it's also not less than that. And so sometimes I think the danger is to say, well, worship is everything that we do, you know, and sort of minimize the importance of singing our worship. But that is a 
biblically prescribed form and quite a lot of biblically mandated verses steer us towards singing our worship. And I can give you a whole list of them afterwards if that is what floats your boat. Um, what about the chief end, the purpose of man on earth? By, human by design, we human beings are created to worship. We're hardwired to be worshipers. Everyone on planet earth will worship no matter what. The question isn't, are we going to do it? It's who or what will we give that worship to? We need to recognize this worship instinct, and we have to recognize how it's manifested in our lives so that we don't give that worship to lesser things because that's what will inevitably happen. The Westminster Catechism says that the chief end or purpose for mankind is to, f to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Although worship isn't about what we get, but rather about what we give, as human beings we will only find true fulfillment in life as we give ourselves fully in worship of our Creator God. Any other object or endeavor that we direct our worship to will leave us empty, unfulfilled, and more aware of the God-shaped hole in our hearts. And it's one of the things that I'm most grateful for, that God put that hole in there and left us with this burning hunger that He only can satisfy. We regularly talk with our team about worship as a lifestyle. And this won't be new, new um, news to you, but I'd like to go over it because it's just so important. Worship is a way of life before it's an activity. It's a dynamic expression that in its truest form is completely all-encompassing in its nature. Separated from a life lived out for God's glory, musical worship becomes nothing more than a meaningless ritual that we all know how to do. Deuteronomy 6.5, which is known as the greatest commandment, says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. So our heart talks about our affections and our emotions, but it also talks about our discernment, our reason, our commitment, our intellect, and our will. Our soul can mean our inmost being, but it also means the whole human. It's our life, it's our body, it's our entire physical existence. Our strength in this passage is literally translated in the Hebrew as our, our muchness. I think it's ma'od. And it suggests that worship should be entwined in everything we do, totally consuming every dimension of our lives. It suggests that every moment that we live is a possibility to be worshipped. Romans 12, 1 in the message says this, your everyday life, take it, your ordinary life, you're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, you're walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. So we as a team know that none of us is perfect, but we do cultivate an intentional heart posture of honoring God with our words, our thoughts, and our actions. We believe things such as our language, our sobriety, our sexual purity, even things like the way we dress are, are factors that are significant in living out a lifestyle of worship, and we talk about that. Um, this next one's a massive one, and it's where we talk about the difference between the internal response and the external response. And it's one of those things that, like um, Don was talking about a couple weeks ago, need to be held in tension. He used a wonderful analogy of, of muscle groups and how they always work as antagonists with each other, so they're always pulling against each other. 
one of mine's not anymore. <laughs> but this idea of things being held in tension is really, really important. So we encourage and we teach the use of certain worship forms, including musical expressions, but we recognize that they're only valid if they're truly representative of what's taking place in the heart. In 1 Samuel 16, 7, you know, and you know this passage well, the Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So practically, this translates into a culture at Gateway where our musical worship isn't centered around hype or manipulation. We will at times exhort you and encourage you to be more expressive in your worship, but we will never prioritize a visible and external response over a hidden internal response. We're wary of routines that turn into ruts and lead to an autopilot response that doesn't stem from an internal response. So you'll, you won't hear us say, come on, lift your hands. We might say, hey, if you feel comfortable, why don't you lift your hands and worship? You know, this would be an appropriate moment to surrender. But we're not going to be like, you're not singing hard enough. Come on, louder, louder. Um, and there's look, I'm not trying to diss that approach, but we want to, to encourage and facilitate a, a heartfelt response that comes from your hearts as opposed to one that's flogged into action. And like I said, sometimes we will feel like there's maybe a, a particularly heavy morning and you, you, you might hear Don get up and say, right guys, we're going to sing that again, you know, and why don't you actually clap this time or step into a space of external response. But it's very rare that we do that um, because we genuinely want it to come from inside out, if that makes sense. Part of not wanting to be on autopilot is, is that you'll notice that we try to introduce new songs regularly. This isn't for the sake of keeping up with the times, but it is to become, uh, it is so that we don't become so familiar with our expressions of worship that they lose their impact. Sometimes I think if we sing, and there's some great songs out there, it's not that we grow tired of them or, or, or grow, you know, weary of doing the same songs over and over again, but sometimes if you sing the same song over and over again, it's amazing how you can be thinking about how you're going to do your next TikTok video or how you're going to update your status, you know, and you can literally on the outside, for all intents and purposes, look like you're hard out engaged in worship, but your mind's a million miles away because you know how to go through the motions. Um, it's also one of the reasons why I love every now and again, not all the time, but every now and again, introducing a song that's quite wordy, has a lot of things to try and wrap your head around. You might have to sing it three or four times to actually really understand what the songwriter's trying to say. And, and it's, it's a wonderful way of engaging ourselves and not getting lost on auto autopilot. Um, the prophet Isaiah has some sobering things to say about this idea. He says, these people say they are mine. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is nothing but man-made rules learned by rote. A heart response is something that we can't force, but as a team, we really feel privileged to facilitate this as we join as a community in worship. That's one side of the coin. You ready for the other side? The other side is that we've already talked about worship as something that involves the whole person. So we believe that there are biblical forms that are prescribed expressions of our worship. Yes, worship needs to originate in the heart, but it also needs to be expressed. And we believe it needs to be expressed through forms in order to be truly effective and fulfilling. 
So as in many areas of our lives, our bodies often reflect what our heart is feeling. So if someone's angry, chances are that <coughs> they're going to be clenching their teeth. They're going to be having fists that are quite white-knuckled. You know, their body's going to reflect often the way that they're feeling. You know, we smile when we're happy. You know, we, we get tense when we're nervous. So in worship, our, our bodies should reflect our love for God and our worship for Him. Our worship should be audible, and it should be visible. Not for pretense, not to try and look cool for others, but as something that's unstoppable, something that's unavoidable, an overflow of what's happening inside. So sometimes this will genuinely be at odds with how you're feeling. And this is the tricky part, because it sounds, if you don't hear it right, as it's like you just fake it till you make it. Um, but there is an element of if you only did what you felt all the time, we probably wouldn't offer much worship that was of much quality if we just went to what we were feeling all the time. So we're determined to be a people that aren't led by our emotions, our circumstances. Sometimes our bodies need to lead the way and our emotions catch up. So we want our, the level of our worship to be determined by the unchanging worthiness of our Creator who deserves to receive a, a big expression of our worship. I just like big, big expression. So that's, that's the first half of what I wanted to say. You guys tracking all right so far? Yep, still with me? Can you do another 10 minutes? Is that all right? Um, so this, this second half is, is really what is going to inform our practical component of tonight, our worship um, session. And I've, for those of you that were at, I think a couple of you were at the um, combined worship session that we had at, over at Activate three weeks ago, I think. I touched on this briefly, and I just want to unpack it more because it's something that I'm getting really, really excited about this, this idea of three phases of a cycle in terms of our worship expression. And I've called it WOW, Woe, and Go. <laughs> okay? Um, or another way you could think about it is up, in, and out. Okay? The opening verses of chapter 6 in Isaiah offer a really useful overview of the focus of our worship cycle. And it starts like this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. Why don't you close your eyes and just picture this with me for a second. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two... They were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. These are magnificent angelic beings. And they have their eyes covered because they can't bear to take in the glory of Almighty God that they're in the presence of. So the first stop in our cycle of worship is an upward portion. And it's saying, wow. Wow. Wow, God. Wow. 
And I mentioned three weeks ago that kids are actually the masters of wow. As we get older, less things make us go wow. I don't know if you've noticed that, but more often than not, if somebody says some things like out the gate or like off the charts or incredible, they're often being sarcastic, <laughs> you know? And we, we've, we've sort of lost that sense of bright-eyed wonder. And that's one of the things I love most about my kids is my little daughter, Olive, she's six. She's like, her eyes get literally like two times the size of, and she's, Papa, really? Are you serious? You know, her mind is literally just blown. You can see all the cogs going, and she's like trying to process what she's just taken in. There's a beautiful picture of worship in Revelation chapter 5 too, and I want you to close your eyes again and just picture this. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, circled by the four living creatures and the elders, the lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. When he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You've made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice, they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. What Stephen read out earlier, that's what we're tapping into. When we gather on a Sunday morning, it's not just about little old Hamilton and little old us here in this little auditorium. We're tapping into 10,000 upon 10,000 upon thousands of angels gathered around the throne who never stop singing, worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. We're, we're part of that unending symphony. And your lives are part of that as well when you step out of this place. But we're still just in the first part of the cycle. Don't worry, the next two are much shorter. Let's circle back to our, our little dude, Isaiah. He's just been confronted with 
God's glory. And he very quickly realizes he's in the wrong place. He says, woe is me. Woe is me. I'm ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the king. I'm a dead man. Now, Isaiah wasn't your average type of guy, okay? He was the prophet of the day. So as far as like the holy man of the day, he was it. If, he, if anyone had credentials, if anyone had boldness to step into that throne room on planet Earth, it would have been him. But he knew he was a dead man. He knew that in, in that throne room, he was nothing. He was absolutely nothing. But then one of the seraphim flew to him with a live coal in his hand, which he'd taken from the tongs on the altar. And he touched Isaiah's mouth and he says, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. So almost as quickly as Isaiah becomes aware of his inadequacy in the presence of Almighty God, Almighty God initiates his amazing grace that saves a wretch like Isaiah. And man, if he's a wretch, I'm a wretch. And I suspect that makes y'all a wretch too. (laughs) Isaiah's posture became inward. His focus changed from wow God to woe me. His response shifted from being in the space of awe to being in this space of repentance, in a space of surrender, in a space of humility. So that's up and in, or wow and woe. And woe with a W-O-E, like woe is me. And then we come to the third stop, the final stop on our three-part cycle. But I do emphasize it's a cycle, and I'll tell you why in a moment. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I said, Here I am. Send me. He said, Go. Go and tell this people. And it goes on and he gives them this message. It's an echo of Jesus' final words as he ascended. His final words were, Go. Go into all the world. Make disciples. And of course, that he would be with us as we go. The final stage of Isaiah's response was outward, as he put his hand up and answered the call to go. When Jesus reiterated the greatest commandment in Mark chapter 12, he said, after he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. What's the command that he said was as important as that? Sorry? Sorry? Love your neighbor as yourself. It's about going. It's about living out our worship. It's about working it out. So another way of describing this progression is that worship needs to originate in our heart with a sense of awe. Then it's expressed through hands that are raised in surrender as we're confronted with who we are in the light of who he is. And it culminates in hands that are devoted to getting dirty and and living out our worship in service and in love to the world around us. So we cycle back to the beginning, and we go, wow, God, again. And we go, woe is me again. And then we say, 
but if you'll take me and if you'll cleanse me, I'll keep going for you as well. It has to be a cycle because there's plenty of religions out there that just focus on an untouchable God that doesn't want to have anything to do with mankind that we can just stand in awe of, burn incense to, say prayers to. There are plenty of streets that lead down that way. But for us, it doesn't stop there. Yes, it's one of the most crucial, and probably if we, if we really call it that at the end of the day, it's the most important part of this cycle. But it's also about this sense of what does that mean for me? And what does that mean for the fact that you want to be in relationship with me? I don't deserve that. I'm not fit to be in relationship with you. But he provides a way to make it possible. How does that work? We, can't, we really can't get our heads around it. But if we just stayed in that second phase, man, that'd be a pretty depressing place to be, eh? If all we focused on was how unworthy and how woeful we were, it would very quickly change from humility to a seriously depressed state. And if all we focused on was reaching out and going, we'd all burn out as well. If we lost the sight of wow and of this fact that he wants to be in relationship and it becomes this, this exchange, this relationship, then it just becomes a form, this going, and it becomes something that we very quickly burn out doing. Thanks for joining us for this episode. I pray it's been a blessing to you and an encouragement on your journey with Jesus. Join us on Tuesday nights in Hamilton. We look forward to welcoming you to a gathering or a connect group. Praying grace, favour and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit upon you as you walk with Jesus and take part in this call, His holy invitation to imitation.